Powered through the Alaska Airlines Studios. This is Bump and Stacy on Seattle Sports Station. Streaming through the Seattle Sports app. Now, here are your hosts, Michael Bumpus and Stacy Ross. Here we go now. All right, lots of new rules coming to MLB in 2023. Inside MLB's new 2023 rules from the shift to the pitch clock. It's an article up on ESPN right now by ESPN's Jesse Rogers. Jesse joins us right now on the Emerald Queen Casino Sportsbook Hotline. Jesse, how's it going? Doing well, doing well. Not far from Mariners Camp here in Arizona. It's going to be an interesting spring for them and season coming up. So good to be with you guys. We are happy to have you on. We are going to talk some Mariners, mostly just like broader, right? Like AL West and the American League. But before we get to it, we got to get to these rules, man. You have a new column up on ESPN.com. And, you know, my co-host Michael Bumpus and I understand the basics of the rules. We've been reading through them. We think we know what to expect, but let's talk to an expert about it. I'll start with the pitch clock, the one I've heard most about. Tell us what's going to look different and how it could affect baseball. Yeah, it's kind of interesting talking to you guys. I just left the Diamondbacks spring facility, and um, the the league, Major League Baseball, held a demo um, of uh, for the new rules for media members. So we get we get to know them a little bit more intimately and everything. And uh, you know, I, I stood on the mound, stood in the batter's box. They had the pitch clock running, and they have determined 15 seconds um, with nobody on base is enough time for a pitcher to get the ball and and throw it. And then they're going to add five seconds when there's runners on, because there's a little bit more pressure there. Right. Mm -hmm. So 20 seconds when runners on 15 seconds without runners on, and they feel like that's enough time to, to get the ball back from the catcher and, and throw it. Now there's going to be all sorts of occasions where the clock resets. Obviously Um, there's an injury, there's an equipment problem, uh, a foul ball, obviously you throw over to first base, it resets. But in general, the spirit of the rule is to keep the game moving. They believe their experiments in the minors showed that 25 minutes cut off game times down there. And they think that's going to carry over to the majors. Now they've done fan surveys and experimentation. And that's why they've come up with the rules that they have. Um, maybe, you know, some things that happen in the minors won't happen in the majors, but they feel like this is the way that the game needs to go. And, they feel like the talking to fans over over time. The fans like it as well. They want two hours and thirty minute games, not three hours and thirty minute games. And so the pitch clock is is the big one. That's the big one that the players are going to get going to have to get used to right away. Jesse, I want to hear from the pitchers. You know, there are two sides of this thing. There are some guys who are going to adapt, who are going to say, this is the rule. They're going to embrace it. They're going to go. Then there's probably the old heads who are like, man, what are they doing with this 15-second clock? You're messing up my routine. What's the vibe you've gotten from from the uh, from the players? Has it been just accepted with open arms, or has there been some kind of pushback? What's the feel there? No, definitely not accepted with open arms. Um, I think – What's going to happen over time is they're going to get used to it. Let's face it, they're going to have to get used to it or they're going to perish, you know, for, for lack of a better word. They're going to have to figure it out in order to stay in the big leagues, right? Now, the league would tell you that maybe 50% of pitchers have already had some experience with it, haven't been in the minors the last few years, guys that have come up. The, the biggest issue is the late-inning veteran reliever that is used to taking his time that has not been in the minors in a long time, has not experienced the pitch clock, they say, look, uh, Rob Manfred, you cannot replicate late-inning, high-leverage situations down in the minors. Those games aren't that that important. There's not 40,000 fans, right? You can't mimic September baseball 
anywhere else. So um, they feel like, yeah, that 15 seconds and 20 seconds isn't enough time. Now, when I say they, a portion, right? There's another portion that don't care about the clock because their natural routine was within the time frame. So they're okay with it. Uh, you know, so the, it just depends on who you talk to. But as this rule is implemented, go a year from now, two years from now, three years from now, all of a sudden, almost everybody in the league, you know, coming is going to experience with it and, and will adjust to it. They showed some charts today where violations, it's in my story as well, mm-hmm. went down week by week in the minor leagues, violating the pitch clock, for example. They expect the same thing to happen in the majors, even if they start at a, at a higher sort of um, threshold where there's you know, maybe three violations per game or something, but they think, feel like in a month it'll be down to one violation a game. So they're confident they're going to grow. What am I think they will adjust? Um, Jesse, what are the consequences uh, for violations of the pitch clock? And then it also sounds like it ties to pickoff attempts where there's some gamesmanship that could happen with pitchers and then. The, uh, and then MLB clearly trying to limit those pickoff attempts. Would you mind talking about both of those things? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, it's very specific. They've tried to cover every possible scenario. Yeah. Okay, so let's talk about the pickoffs. You're only allowed to disengage from the rubber, step off the rubber, or throw over to first two times. Two times. So obviously people are saying, well, if you throw over twice, then that runner is going to take a huge lead or take off whenever. Mm-hmm. But the answer is no, they've covered that. Yeah, you can step off a third time. You just have to throw the guy out. Otherwise, it's a balk. So you can't take a huge lead because you can, if the third step off results in an out, um, if you violate the pitch clock as a pitcher, a ball is called. If you violate the pitch clock as a hitter, a strike is called because hitters have to be in the batter's box with at least eight seconds remaining in the pitch clock. Every umpire will have a device on his wrist and will we'll be able to see multiple clocks in the outfield. There's clocks behind the umpire. And when that clock reaches zero, the, the, the device on his wrist is going to buzz. He's going to call time. He's going to call strike on the batter or a ball on the, on the pitcher. So they've tried to cover every single scenario possible. And the reason that you can only disengage from the rubber twice is because um, it resets the pitch clock, of course. And if you give them unlimited disengagements, well, then it defeats the purpose of a pitch clock because players are just going to keep stepping off. So now they've said you could throw over twice, you could throw over a third time, but you better get the guy out. If not, it's a box. So there's all these little nuances to the rules where they think it's going to be a quicker game, a faster paced game. And here's the bottom line. You talk about trying to circumvent the rules. They're really hoping teams understand the facelift that this sport is going through and they live by the spirit of these rules now we'll see if teams really do that you know because i asked a question today what happens if that buzzer on that umpire's wrist goes off just as he's starting the pitcher starting his motion you know it's like the delay a game in football right? right that referee has to make that split second call as the clock goes to zero and yeah there's going to be some controversy there but their hope is that the players and the team sort of buy into these rules because it only benefits them if, if things, you know, the, the faster things go, uh, can get to, to being smoothed out here, right? There's going to be some rough edges, but the quicker they get to sort of figuring it all out, the smoother things will look on the field. 
Man, Jesse, you got me thinking, who's going to be the first manager to get thrown out of game because his <laughs> pitcher had the ball in his hand in a throwing motion as that clock went off? But yep. my question to you is, you know, there's a I played high school baseball. Couldn't hit a curveball. Mm-hmm. If it was moving, I couldn't do it. Fastball, I got you, Jesse. So, and I could run mm-hmm. the bases. What about these bases? Um, do you think we're going to see faster times from home to first? And, and how is this going to affect base running in general? Yeah, uh, it is. The, the bases are, are three inches bigger all around, three inches square bigger all around. So it technically shortens the base paths, right? Um, I think between all these rules, we're going to see an increase in stolen base attempts. They saw that in the minors. And, and when we say an increase for, for the traditional fans here, we're not saying that uh, – I'm not saying – they're not saying it's going to be like every runner is going to take off. They're saying that the increase is just going to return the levels to – previous years going back to like the 70s 80s 90s 2000s so it's not going to be some a crazy type of game run game we're just going to get back to some some of the stolen base attempts we used to see in, in baseball that made a little bit more sense and you know we used to see 100 stolen bases a year would lead the league we're nowhere near that mm-hmm. so they want to get back to something like that the fast guys getting to 70 80 stolen bases a season but yeah the base to the edge, to the end of the base at first, for example, was 90 feet. Now, now it's like 80, you know, nine feet or whatever. It's like, yes, we're going to see more infield uh, base hits. I think we're going to see more stolen bases um, in general, and this is going to create a little bit more offense. Which, by the way, if you look at the NBA, NHL, and NFL, that's all they've done the last 10 years is legislate for more offense. So mm-hmm. I think it's probably about time baseball does it. So we're getting away from maybe just home run or strikeout or walk and getting into more of the traditional rallies that we used to see. Jesse, it won't surprise you at all, since I'm sure you've had these conversations with GMs from around the league, but in our conversation with Mariners GM Justin Hollander, he did tell us, uh, you know, like kind of what you're hinting at here, that like teams are accounting for uh, potentially more offense here, and so when they're looking at free agents to add or trades to make, they're thinking like, oh, who might benefit from changes to the shift, right? Who might benefit from, um, you know, if base running becomes something that becomes a little bit easier? So I wanted to talk about the shift specifically, because that's what we talked to uh, with Justin. Um, what have you heard from players about it? Do you personally like uh, the changes to the shift here? I do. I do. I'm pretty much on board with almost all yeah, the changes. Yeah. I don't love the ex- I don't love the extra inning rule, but okay, I can live with it. But I, I'm okay with eliminating the shift. I, I, you know, the word I used to use is uh, looking out from the press box night in and night out. It just looked like an abomination out there. <laughs> really? like, you know, four guys on the right yeah. side. I mean. Yeah, a guy, a left-handed hitter hits a, a hundred mile an hour ball. It's it's, yeah. a, it's a one hop out to short. It just that's not where how the game was invented to play. And look, I get that. Some I get the traditional fan. Hey, you can't tell a defender where to stand. Well, you do that in the NBA all the time. You can't stand in the lane for three seconds. Like the world changes. Why can't sports change? Technology changes. Technology impacts sports. So. Uh, now with technology, they can tell exactly where batters hit, and so pole hitters, you know, they're 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 going to cover them with the ship. All right, so let's legislate against it a little bit and get back to seeing more singles and doubles and all that stuff. So I'm fine with it. Um, in the demo today, they they showed us that you know again the spirit of the rule. They don't want to see a second baseman or shortstop who's required to be on one side of the bag, you know, running as the pitch is thrown to time it sort of jump to the other side. They're going to they're gonna call that a violation. Like anybody trying to circumvent even the spirit of the rule, 
they're going to warn and then call a violation on. So this is going to get, again, get back to the game we all used to watch where a single is a single, mm-hmm. an out is an out, and, and defenders can, can be athletic about it. So I'm on board. Jesse, I was surprised when I saw baseball making these changes because, like you mentioned, of all sports, they've kind of been the slowest to do so. So what was the driving force behind it? Was this a change in leadership? You're getting younger blood in there? What what made this this final push? Yeah, I think those are – it's a great question. I think it's a it's a three- or four-pronged answer. I really do. I, I talked to Ron Banford a couple weeks ago, and the idea of a better pace to the game is something he campaigned on when he took over or was about to take over as commissioner. He, his, his vision was a faster-paced sport. And their surveys show that three hours plus just wasn't going to cut it for a regular season game in May, you know, or June or whatever. Maybe pennant race stuff. People don't care. But they just their 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 um, uh, information told them that the that that just the rhythm of how we live our lives just didn't afford for three hour plus baseball games. Maybe it doesn't a football game because that's once a week, but not in baseball anymore. So this is what I'm talking about. How the game advances, human beings advance, technology advances. And so I think the final push was um, really what we've seen these last few years uh, through the pandemic. Um, the game just wasn't working. The strikeout totals were up, game times were up, and it just wasn't. You know, it's almost like you know it when you see it, and I think we all agree. We, when we watched the game, it wasn't working from game one to 162 and the playoffs. So they're trying to just fix it a little bit and get it back to the way it looked like when we grew up with some changes that are more modern, that make it more modern and everything else. And I, so I think the final push was these, just these last few years, sort of everything coming together through the pandemic and realizing the game's got to change. All right. We got about two minutes left with you here, Jesse, and we are hoping we can squeeze in a question or two here about the Mariners in the American League, uh, maybe the AL West here. I'll start with the Mariners. Um, you mentioned you were out there uh, near the Mariners facility at spring training out in Peoria. And, you know, I'm just curious from the perspective of a national writer, uh, what do you think of the Mariners potential 2023 season? You know, do you like this team? Do you think they did enough? I hate to be sort of uh, boring about it, but I really <laughs> think, well, here's my, you know, I really think you can make a case for this, the same 12 playoff teams, you know, that made it last year are going to make it this year. I um, mean, Seattle is certainly one of them. It's unfortunate we're in a sort of world where there's the haves and the have-nots, just a lot of payroll disparity. They're certainly really good. I don't put them in the elite of the elite. The elite of the elite mm-hmm. to me this year is all three NLEs teams, the Yankees, the Dodgers, and the Padres. Um, that's my six elite. I put them one level below, but look, that's a, that's a good place to be because it's, it's not a huge leap for them to, to jump into the, with, with the elite teams. There's a bunch of teams that are so far from being anywhere near world series contenders that you can't envision it at all. So all Seattle do is, you know, they have to play a little bit better and maybe I'm wrong about the Astros or something. You know, I forgot about the Astros, seven elite teams, Houston's the seventh. You know, so they're right below the elite of the elite, in my opinion. And I would, I, I think they ended the season that way. I'd probably say that's the way they would start this season, but give them every opportunity to sort of jump up into that, you know, close to 100 win category. 
All right. He is ESPN's Jesse Rogers. Don't forget, you guys got to check out his story. You need this primer on the season for MLB's new rules. It's uh, on ESPN.com right now. Go click over to MLB's section, and it's right there on the homepage. He is Jesse Rogers, kind enough to join us. Thanks so much, Jesse. Thanks, Jesse. Anytime, I hope my pal Eddie Olchek is working out up there. He's a wonderful human being and a great hockey broadcaster. So tell him I say hello. We will, absolutely. Thanks, Jesse. Take care. All right, let's get to Four Down Territory. This is Four Down Territory. Going inside the game with former Seahawks and Coug wide receiver Michael Bumpus. First down, what will be the strongest division in the NFC in 2023? It ain't going to be the NFC South. I'm sorry, Bucks. It ain't going to be the NFC North. I'm sorry, Vikings. Nor the West. I'm what? It's going to be the <laughs> NFC East. Philly's number two in ESPN Power Rankings. Obviously, they just went to the Super Bowl, but they got to sign some guys. Miles Sanders, Garner Johnson, Brad Barry, Fletcher Cox, Brandon Graham. And you got to sign uh, your boy Hurts. He's going to get a nice extension. Mm-hmm. Dallas is number six in the Power Rankings, but they do have Gallup and CeeDee Lamb coming back. What's going to happen with Pollard and their tight end Schultz? They are free agents. They need some weapons. You need another receiver over there as well. They got a middle-of-the-pack defense. Number 15, the uh, ESPN Power Rings have the New York Giants. Saquon and Daniel Jones will be signed. All right, well, that's what we're hearing or whatnot. They got a third and a sixth-round pick for Tony, so we will see what they do with that. Their offense needs a wide receiver and tight end as well. Then the commanders are number 18 on the power rankings. Sam Howell, they say he's the quarterback number one, but I think they're still going to bring a veteran in to compete. You got Deron Payne, who's looking to leave, get some money. We'll see if they pay him, and they have a solid defense. Overall, those four teams are better collectively than any other four teams. It's got to be the NFC East. Second down. In 2023, which second-year quarterback will have the biggest impact on their franchise? All right, I'm looking at three quarterbacks. I'm looking at Kenny Pickett with Pittsburgh, Desmond Ritter in Atlanta, then Sam Howell in Washington. I think Sam is the third one on this list. He's QB1. Um, He has a number one receiver. He's got a running back, Mr. Brian Robinson. Many men wish death upon me. There we go. Bounce back player. And then you got Kenny Pickett. He has a great relationship with Deontay Johnson and George Pickens. Pickens has the best catch rate in the NFL. The Steelers are on a nice little run, uh, win streak. Powell won three games in a row, threw for 6-0-7, three touchdowns in those three. But I'm looking at Desmond Ritter. If they do not bring over a veteran quarterback, mm-hmm. this guy's going to be in the game. And I need them to do something. I need them to open him up in the run game. He needs to look like Daniel Jones over there with the New York Giants in college. He rushed for 2,180 yards and 40 eight tutties. Yeah, 12 of them things in 2020. He has a top three defense over there as well and a couple young weapons. If no one is there to compete with Desmond Ritter, if Desmond Ritter opens up week number one as the guy and they run that type of offense and use his athletic ability, I like that young man. Every time you say them things, I remember the listener that texted in and said, ever since Bump started hosting, I've just started saying them things about everything. Like <laughs> you're at the thanks. grocery store ordering lemons. <laughs> yeah, can I get 10 of them Them things? 10 of them things. 10 of them things, please. Uh, oh, someone also said, um, what about Malik out in Tennessee? But one of your theories is potentially that Trey Lance could end up in Tennessee. Trey Lance is going to Tennessee. Jimmy is going to Houston. Mark it. All right. Third down. There are some offensive linemen on the market. Do not forget about them. It's not just about the big guys up front on defense. So who should the Seahawks take a strong look at when it comes to the O-line? Got a lot of big boys on the O-line. My wish list, Jason Kelsey. 
Come join us, I baby. Mean, sure. I mean, come on. He's doing. My wish list is Ryan Gosling. <laughs> <laughs> Jason Michael Kelsey. Michael B. Jordan. Michael B. Jordan. <laughs> That'd Lauren, be fantastic. Lauren London. Holla <laughs> yeah, at me. Exactly. I'm sorry, babe. I'm just playing. Um, <laughs> <laughs> on Valentine's Day. On Valentine's Day. Day. <laughs> After Dang her it. birthday. You well, influenced what's wrong me. with you? No, I didn't. You, I didn't do anything. Me. I didn't say anything. Kelsey, I would love to have him. He's going to cost you about $11 million. He's a center for Philly, if you don't know. And then Garrett Bradbury. This guy is a center for the Vikings. They're both around $11 million. I think you need to bring in a center. Now, if you do get those guys, you got to pair him up with a guard who can get it done, and you can get him for the cheap. I like Will Hernandez. He finished the season on the IR. He had a little pectoral issue going on there. He only gave up a 3% pressure rate. That's 13th amongst guards. He's a limited run blocker, a better pass blocker. We need that as well. Only going to cost you about $4 million. You can pair him up with a stud at that center spot like the two I just mentioned. You might be all right. All right, fourth down. Another mock draft, another twist. SB Nation has the Seahawks taking USC's Jordan Addison with the number 20 overall pick. How would you feel if the Hawks were to make this happen? I love me some receivers. And Addison, former Blitnikoff winner, he had 875 and 8 touchdowns at SC last year. But before that, he had 1,517 touchdowns. This dude is a baller. But then I'm wondering, I go, does this offense really need a number three receiver like that at the 20th pick? So I look at all the top passing games across the league, and we got the Bucks. They have two leading receivers. I'm talking about targets. Two leading receivers and a running back. Kansas City, you got a tight end who leads it, then two receivers. Chargers, now you got three receivers. None of them have over a thousand yards. You go to Miami, you got two receivers and a tight end. Then Cincinnati, you have three receivers and Chase, Higgins, and Boyd. So there's a mix. Out of those five, you have two organizations that have three receivers as leading target getters. But other than that, you got the tight ends in the mix. You got the running backs in the mix. I look at this office and I say, all right, well, the way that Shane used the tight ends last year really supplemented for that number three receiver you still got 400 yards out of Marquise Goodwin and four touchdowns so wasting a number 20 pick on a receiver just doesn't make sense to me right now now if he were to join the team I'd be grateful you get Addison over there that dude's a baller but I think you stick to the defense when it comes to these first two to three picks unless the situation happens that we talked about earlier. But at number 20, I don't think you need a wide receiver. I think you need to stay on the defense. If a couple guys evolve, we see Derek Young or whatnot. We got these tight ends who are doing their thing. Noah Fan, you got Kobe Parkinson, Uncle Will Disley. I think you can find your number three receiver at that tight end spot. I wouldn't waste it at number 20. I wouldn't waste your number 20 pick on a receiver. I just keep remembering DK Metcalf last year when they had that stretch of games when they couldn't get the run going. And in a press conference at the facility, he said, hey, we need to get the run. Like, I'm right. basically hinting, I'm sitting here in lanes and a DB is all over me knowing exactly what's coming because we don't have a run game. Adding another receiver is great. It gives you another receiving option. But it's kind of like adding tools when the toolkit isn't completely, you know, filled yeah, out. Uh-huh. And it's like, okay, yeah, you have six screwdrivers, but uh, you really need a hammer. Like, you really need, <laughs> yeah. you know, like, you need a couple yeah. things going on here. Before you go out and get another one of these things, maybe you fill it out. Just and you know what? Bit. People don't know, uh, Stacy is a magnificent interior designer. You guys. You know what I'm saying? So she knows what she's what? talking about. I should do my before-after photos. I should post them. I'm really proud of myself. You really should. Uh, all right, let's see what's on tap. This is What's on Tap with Bump and Stacy, brought to you by Dick's Driving. So, folks, 
What's on tap? The Kraken are back at it today with the game against the Jets. That at 5 p.m. Good news for the Kraken, by the way. Maddie Beneers returned to practice. That's What's on Tap, brought to you by Dick's Drive-In. Go into the station for Hype Train. Also, we need your questions for what I need to know. Get those in. That's coming up at 145-866-979-3776. It's all coming your way next. Bumpin' Stacy, Powered through the Alaska Airlines Studios. On Seattle Sports. Here are your hosts, Michael Bumpus and Stacy Rost. This hour of Bump and Stacey's brought to you by Mazda of Everett. Get your questions in for what I need to know. It's coming your way in 15. Any question you have, text it now to the Mac and Jack's text line, 866-979-3776. You got 15 minutes because right now we're heading to the station for Hype Train. First Hype Train is inspired by a new beef escalating on Twitter. Here we go. Juju Smith-Schuster, wide receiver for the Chiefs. He was the one being held by James Bradbury. He posted a photo that I'm assuming he didn't take. It's like a Photoshop Valentine of James Bradbury. And it says, I'll hold you when it matters most. It's a Valentine's Day card. Ha, ha, ha. We get it. Uh, he said, happy <laughs> Valentine's Day, everybody, with a heart emoji. Curtis hates Juju. Here we go. AJ Brown, <laughs> wide receiver for the Eagles, retweeted and said... First off, congratulations. Y'all deserve it. This is lame. You was on the way out of the league before Mahomes resurrected your career on your one-year deal, TikTok boy. He admitted that he grabbed you, but don't act like you're like that or ever was. But congratulations again. Celebrating emoji, clapping emoji, beer clanging emoji. This is your first hype train. I had two versions of it. The first is Juju Smith-Schuster did, in fact, need Mahomes and the Chiefs to resurrect his career. I was going to say Juju was washed before Mahomes got to him, but you can interpret (laughs) that train however you want. If you're boarding, you're agreeing with it. In this case, it would be that Juju was, like, done. He needed the Chiefs. Um, If you are not boarding, you have more faith in Juju. So, Bump, you go first. I'm looking at Juju's um, career. He had one Pro Bowl season in 2018 where he had 1,400 yards, seven touchdowns, a long of 97 and 111 receptions. Since then, he had 42 catches. Then he had 97, brought him back, only 831 yards with 90 receptions, 97. 2021, he played five games, 15 receptions. Then last year, he got around 900 yards. I wouldn't say he was washed, but I would say the move to Kansas City was the best move he ever made. Mm-hmm. And let me say that Juju has played in 79 games. AJ, AJ Brown has played in 60 games. Ooh. Juju has 401 catches for 4,788. A.J. Brown has 273 for 4,491. 35 touchdowns to Juju's 29. I would chill if I was Juju. I wouldn't even clap back. I'd just say, yeah. all right, you know, I got Have a ring. Nice I say, I got a ring. Thank you. <laughs> Thank I'm you. out of here. Thank you very much, Miss Brown. Uh, Curtis, are you boarding the train? You already know. I know. You hate. Why do you hate Juju Smith Schuster? You hated him for like two years. I don't like Juju Smith Schuster because, like we've talked about, he's he was washed before he got to Kansas City. He's playing with the best quarterback in the league. Obviously, his numbers are going to go up. Uh, I've always thought he, the the noise that surrounds Juju Smith Schuster is not. Uh, he, he is not deserving of all that noise. He gets way too much coverage for somebody that has been eh, kind of an average to slightly above average receiver over the course of his entire career. He's had one really good season. That was in 2018 when he had the 1,400 yards, mm-hmm. uh, had over 100 receptions. But outside of that, I mean, he had three straight pretty mediocre to pedestrian seasons, 2019, 2020, 2021. Uh, like, I just, he is not somebody that 
should be getting as much press as he does. Uh, yeah, I'm all about what A.J. Brown had to say. I'm going to board this train, though I think A.J. Brown went a little too hard. But you know what? The wounds are still fresh. Okay, the Eagles are still licking their wounds. I would be heartbroken. I still can't watch the end of Super Bowl 49. And if someone was out here making jokes about Malcolm Butler, I'd be done. I'd be like, get out of my face. So I understand it from A.J. Brown. What I will say about Juju, Juju's a good receiver. Any, like, mid-level to solid receiver is going to be better on an offense with Patrick Mahomes, with Andy Reid and Eric Bieniemy calling the shots. Um, I think that it's just at one time we thought Juju was better than he really is. That's all help. it is. He had we Antonio thought he, Brown he had an, And him. that's the thing is everyone was like, oh, people are mad because A.B. is jealous of Juju and Juju's the next A.B. He's not, but it's okay. He's he's just a different guy. He's played six years. He'll play another three or four years in this sure, league. Sure, exactly. Yeah. It's, he's not like the perennial first-team All-Pro people thought he might be, but mm-hmm. he's still good. But inevitably, I have to board the train. I just, yeah. It's meant to be an innocent little Valentine, but <laughs> next type train into this station. It is stemming off of this. What inspired that Valentine, of course, it's James Bradbury's uh, foul for defensive holding on Juju during that game. It came with 154 remaining in the fourth quarter, gave the Chiefs a fresh set of downs. They run down the clock. You can feel goal with eight seconds left. You guys know what happened next. That final score holds 38-35. Chiefs take home the Lombardi. This is the hype train. Tell me if you're boarding that holding call on James Bradbury was not the reason the Eagles lost. Here's the thing. The Eagles ran 70-something plays on offense. The Chiefs ran 50-something plays on offense. Plenty of opportunities to separate yourself in football. I look more at the Jalen Hurts fumble, and I say that affected the game more than that call. Which because that was the right call. I don't like it in that moment. I think you can make that call almost every single pass play. Mm-hmm. But I look at that Jalen Hurts fumble, and no one touched him. Someone influenced him, but nobody touched him. Yeah. So I, I'm not on the train. I mean, I am on the train. Yeah. That that was not the yeah. reason the, the Eagles lost. All right. The hype train is that the holding call on James Bradbury is not the reason the Eagles lost. Bump is boarding. He said, look, like it or not, it does come down in a three-point game to a seven-point play. That one surrendered by Jalen Hurts when he fumbled the ball. Scoop and score by Nick Bolton. Curtis, are you boarding the train that the holding call on Bradbury was not the reason the Eagles lost the Super Bowl? I'm boarding as well. And it's... My reason for it is the Chiefs played a perfect second half. Mm -hmm. They scored on every drive in the second half. And that drive, even if that play does not get called, likely results in points. It likely results in still a field goal by Harrison Butker. Uh, A a tougher field goal than what uh, Kansas Mm -hmm. City ended up with. But that holding call did not end the Eagles' season uh, just the totality of the second half was the reason why they were not going to win that game. So I am boarding this train. The holding call on James Bradbury was not the sole reason the Eagles lost. Yeah, we're all getting a ticket. I'm on this train as well. If at any point you have a double-digit lead, all the momentum in the world, and a quarterback who's playing on one-and-a-half ankles, you have the advantage. You had a fantastic team. Your defense that got 70-plus sacks over the course of the season, including postseason, didn't get a single sack of Patrick Mahomes. Also, you were outscored 24-11, to including 17-8 to by Kansas City in the fourth quarter alone. You let that happen? Look, it's end of end of game okay like it either they would have you're right Curtis kicked a field goal and you would have had to go down and get a field goal or what either way they were in the 20 they were in the red zone they were gonna find some way to put points on the board all right next type train in here 
We just learned about all four new rules for MLB's 2023 season from ESPN's Jesse Rogers. Some of them might be controversial. He said not too many players he's spoken with are fans of the pitch clock, including older pitchers, older relievers. This is your hype train. It's a little complicated, so you can interpret it in a number of ways. The hype train is that every new MLB rule in 2023 will make it into the 2024 season. So we got the pitch clock. Yes. Stand. Keep the game fast. Mm-hmm. Pick off attempts. Yes. Stand. Keep the game fast. Teams will no longer shift. Yep. Dumper. You will benefit from this. I'm with it. There will be larger bases. Most definitely. I don't see any of this being such. So controversial. So, I, you know, the only thing that would be controversial, I think, is the pitch clock. And I think Jesse made a great point saying that what if the pitcher's in motion as the clock mm-hmm. goes off? They're going to mm-hmm. have to kind of clean that up a little bit and, and get to the, down to the details with that. But, no, I, I see them all staying. So, I guess I am on the train. All right. The hype train is that every new MLB rule in 2023 will make it to the 2024 season. I'm going to reiterate them as Bump just did. Pitch clock. Pickoff attempts are limited. Teams are no longer allowed to shift their infielders. And you have larger bases going up to 18 square inches, an increase of three square inches. Um the hype train, if you're boarding it, means you see these rules sticking around. They're not going anywhere. Curtis, are you boarding? I don't see any of these rules backfiring in a way where Major League Baseball is like, oh, we got to do away with yeah. this as soon as the season's over. Get so I'm out. I'm saddling up right next to Bob. I'm boarding the train with him. Every single one of these rules is going to be here to stay uh, after the 2023 season and beyond. Well, and as part of Jesse's, I'm also boarding. As part of Jesse's uh, article, he also uh, looked at the violations, specifically pitch clock violations that were in the minors. And he was like, they went down every month. These are professionals. They adjust to new rules. He was like, it started out, it was like 1.74 violations per game. And it was down to less than one violation per game by the end of the season. So what's it's the penalty? Uh, that was specifically for pitch clock. Violations. No, what's the penalty? Is it a strike? If the uh, I think so. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So okay. if you have a vi- I think if you have a violation with full bases, it would be the same as like a runner. Like a you would block. Run- yeah. It's where you would uh, have a run scored, I think. That yeah. I need to double check. But again, it's just kind of like, didn't he say something in our interview that wasn't adapt or die, but was as close as he could get to it? Being like, you've got to adapt. Figure yeah. out a way to go perish. along with it. Adapt or perish. Yes. <laughs> you just got to do it. All right. Uh, all right. All three of us aboard that one. That will do it for Hype Train this hour. Bump and Stacy brought to you by Mazda Forever. We are wrapping things up with what I need to know, and we need your questions. Any question you have, anything, sports or not, text it now to the Mac and Jack's text line. That number is 866-979-3776. Your questions, our answers next. Bump and Stacy. Powered through the Alaska Airline Studios. On Seattle Sports. Here are your hosts, Michael Bumpus and Stacy Ross. It's What I Need to Know, brought to you by All Red Heating, Cooling, Electric. Get your questions in now. Any question you have to the Mac and Jack's text line, 866-979-3776. We got a lot about Valentine's Day, uh, which reminded me, Bump, of the story you told this morning of uh, doing a solid for one of your boys. Yeah. Helping him out with Valentine's. Little Michael got on the bus with his flowers for a young lady. Aww. Forgot the chocolate. Oh, no. Dad, can you bring me the chocolate? I go, you realize you're adding 30 minutes to my trip. 
but it's the young man's first uh, first shot. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Taking his first shot. So I went and made sure he had the candy. I texted him how did it go. He ain't hit me back, so I don't know. I have no. to assume oh, no. it's okay. I'm a little nervous. I hope she liked it. I hope she liked the flowers. If I, think- I was little and got flowers and chocolate from someone, oh. I think that's a sign that something good is going on. Because back when, like, I was dating, if I told one of my buddies I'm going on a date and they texted me, like, while I'm on the date, how it's going, if I answered them, that means it's not going well. But if I didn't answer them, that means you're involved in conversation. You're engaged in what you're doing. Yeah, but this is little Michael. He's at school. He's he's learning. He's on a quest for knowledge, Stacey. I got two speeches ready for him. Success and defeat. We're we're, we're good to go. What's the defeat one? Where, like, she rejects it and you're like, hey, son, We don't love him. (laughs) 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 Nah, PG, PG. (laughs) What I need to know. Um, who wins in a fight? John Schneider, Jerry DePoto, or Ron Francis? Oh, Francis, hockey guy. Followed yeah. it up by John Schneider. Yeah. He's just got a lot of, he's got, like, he seems like a force. You know what I mean? Like, he he's just compact. Schneider is DePoto, a, dude, last. a dude who can kick it at the pub. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? So, you know, he's got some, some knuckles DePoto on him. could outrun anyone, though. <laughs> he he! I, Why I, you do my man like that? He just gonna run. No, no hockey players have an incredible amount of stamina. Yeah, but Depoto isn't he on the treadmill all the time? Uh, that doesn't. Like mean he's anything. a runner, I think. Yeah, he's a jogger. Hockey conditioning <laughs> I don't know. is absurd. John Schneider will be the wild card. I don't know which Ron way this Francis, could go. Ron Francis, six foot three. Oh, Ron Francis would pummel everyone. Jerry DePoto, 6'2". John Schneider, I don't believe, is six feet. My guy's like, maybe five eight, five nine. I'd say he's five nine. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, let's see what I need to know. What is the best Valentine's Day gift you've either received or given? Received? I don't. My wife doesn't give me gifts. I tell her don't worry about Valentine's yeah. Day. Um, given just jewelry, Classic probably. Stuff. Yeah. You know, a trip or something like that. I just I did Valentine's Day gifts always used to be a huge thing. I feel like. In elementary school, you had to bring one. You had to bring one for everyone, so no one felt left out, Uh, except for young Michael. (laughs) (laughs) He only brought flowers and chocolates for the one girl. (laughs) Uh, Let's see. Uh, One of my biggest pet peeves is people that turn left across a double across a double yellow line. What is yours? Biggest pet peeve while driving. Anything. Anything. Biggest pet peeve is when my kids walk through the door. Take off their backpacks and just drop it anywhere. Like there's not a place for your backpack. Oh. And then the wife walks in. She trips on the back. She's mad at them. Now she's mad at me. Oh, and no. I'm just trying to do damage control. So I'm going to go ahead and do these dishes so you ain't tripping no more. <laughs> Curtis, what's one of your biggest pet peeves? Biggest pet peeves. If we're sticking to driving, I hate it when... It's a road only big enough for one car to go through. I stop my car, mm-hmm. allow for the car that's opposite of me to come through. And then another car does? No, 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 no. Oh. The car I let come through does not give me the courtesy wave. Oh, If they don't give me the courtesy one. wave, yeah. Yeah. they're getting a wave of another kind. Yeah. Uh, that's so disrespectful to not <laughs> yep. acknowledge the courteous gesture. Like, what? who are you to yeah. not say thank you. It's such a weird thing. If someone lets you go by, if they hold the door yeah. open, if they do yeah. anything, like it's just, all you have to do, oh, thank you. Wave. Like, it's just normal manners. Someone said, bump, your kids do that too? <laughs> kids all across the world. <laughs> Everywhere. I have a lot of pet peeves. Uh, 
I have a lot of driving pet peeves. Slow drivers is a big one, although sometimes I can be a slow driver. Um, when people eat and talk, I mean, I don't mean like, like I'll be like, if you're vegging out with friends or family on the couch, I'm uh-huh. talking about like, like smacking gum while someone's talking to you, eating a banana really loudly. Yeah, yeah. Eating a banana loudly is maybe a top five. <laughs> Just a banana, Just not other spe- food? There was this guy I used to work with, and we were in this closed office, and he would eat a banana every single morning, and it would be the loudest where I was. It's burned into my memory. Mm. It was a nice guy, though. Uh, what I need to know, if Gino signs with someone else, wouldn't it be smarter to build on defense this draft, roll with Drew Locke to give the Seahawks, and roll with Drew Locke to give the Seahawks a better chance of getting Caleb Williams. So well, the Seahawks are going to be garbage is what you're yeah, saying. Yeah, Williams is going to be number one. Yeah, they're not going to be the worst team in the NFL. I don't think so with Drew Locke. I don't think so. Yeah. I, nah. If Gino goes, man, I'm I'm on board. If, if Gino goes and CJ is available. I'm with it. Uh, I don't think Pete Carroll is ever going to want to tank. He's never going to want to nah. lose. He's never going to. You want to win two games? That's what's going to get you the number one pick. No. Oh, is that hard. what you want to do? It's I don't want to hear anyone here. complaining. Ooh. No one better be complaining. Um, what I need to know, my coworker had the audacity to say that Chips Ahoy is better than Oreos. Please shame Whoa. him. Nah. They are not. What? Shame. They're not even in the same yeah. realm. No, shame. Oreos is. Oreo is the best snack cookie. Maybe one of the best packaged foods that exist on Am I, I like vanilla Oreo more than chocolate Oreo. The or golden the Oreo. Fine. Golden, yeah. yeah, golden Oreos. And that's fine. That's acceptable. That's still an Oreo. You okay. know what I mean? Okay. Um, no shame here. No, in between two yeah. chip or two. It's cookies. part of the Cal yeah. system. You know what I mean? Like it's it's all it's all still <laughs> it's prestigious. UC, uh, yeah. It's got a UC Irvine. Yeah, but it's still fine. <laughs> but it's still acceptable. It's a great degree. Uh, you know, but I'm Oreo talking Berkeley. Is, Oreo is like UCLA. Okay. Yeah, for sure. Big, I love Oreo. Day. I have a Costco bag and I eat, I could eat like three sleeves in a day. They came out Fresh with uh, a flavor called the most Oreo. It's cookies and cream. I saw cream. that. I have to try that. It's, yeah. it's, it's everything you could want. Uh, what I need to know, can you settle an agreement? Who is the better wide receiver, Tyler Lockett or Doug Baldwin? Oh, Man. I like Doug Baldwin's style. Yeah. But numbers say Tyler Lockett is the better receiver. Numbers, Tyler Lockett. Doug Baldwin, even though Tyler Lockett is great with those like back of the end zone, mm-hmm. maybe a fade or just kind of the over the shoulder catches, I think Baldwin overall made more crazy catches. Like he was a safety blanket and a half for Russell Wilson. And uh, just getting off the line, he was great. Just fantastic. So you're saying that. numbers lie. Numbers lie. Numbers yeah. Lie. Facts lie. <laughs> <laughs> All right, you guys. <laughs> yeah. Happy Valentine's Day to everyone. Everyone have a wonderful Tuesday. We will be back with you at 10 a.m. tomorrow. Don't go anywhere. Wyman and Bob coming up next.